What's your blood alcohol content? How did you get camo Jordans? They make them. Is it not a word? Dude, it is to a word. You harking back. You harking back. No, you do not. I was useless. Wait, hold on. Delonica? I'm hurting, man. Are you puking? Did you just bust out a Sargento? We're a uh, Tillamook family. What's the proper technique to milk the teat? If they are competing for state championships, they ain't paying for their blizzards. Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast at Outsider. I'm Marty. He's Wesley. Got his hat backers. Got on his uh, 1980 Georgia Bulldog National Championship T-shirt that uh, I think his grandpa probably bought back there when Herschel Walker was running around. That's 21, baby. It looks like 1980. Not only does it – not like it's like one of those see-through T-shirts that's been around for four decades. Don't let me spill the water around here, man. It's going to be spring break. 21 that's taking uh that's taking retro to another level when you just make home the field t-shirt apparel home field so apparel. thin it looks like it's been washed seventy five thousand mm. times by the bulldog faithful but what's happening man how was the uh how was the tourney i've kind of thrown travis and west for a loop here because I told them that we were going to tape at a certain time and then i'm in a text group group chat with Carl Ravitch and Jimmy Dykes, who are my running mates on Super Tuesday on ESPN College Basketball. And we live in the SEC. We live in the Southeastern Conference. And we just completed on Sunday afternoon the SEC Tournament Championship game. Uh, The Tennessee Volunteers are the 2022 SEC champions, SEC Tournament champions. And We were kind of breaking down everything in our group chat, and there's all these questions that have stemmed from the NCAA tournament bracket release, which, of course, happens every single year. But uh, a couple of teams that we just got done covering in the SEC championship game, the Tennessee Volunteers and the Texas A&M Aggies, both got hosed, in my (laughs) humble opinion. So... As we're going back and forth with it, and I'm asking Jimmy his perspective on this, I was like, why don't I just have him on the the show? So poor Travis and Wes, I got them scrambling. I'm like, boys, we got to get on right now. We got Jimmy. So we're going we're gonna to bring Jimmy in here in just about, I don't know, eight or ten minutes and really pepper him with all of the questions that we have as the tournament gets underway, one of which deals directly with uh, – West Blankenship's Georgia Bulldogs, one of one of the uh, coaches in the Southeastern Conference, Mike White, who coached, I guess, coached the Florida Gators over the past several years, um, has now made his way to Athens. He's going to coach hmm. the Georgia Bulldogs basketball team now. That doesn't uh, happen often, you know. No, uh, Gator becoming a Bulldog. No, that does not happen very often. Uh, one, one, that's a heated rivalry. And so uh, that's a very interesting, uh, very interesting, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Predicament, uh, no, scenario. Very interesting. Development. Development, that's the word I want. Uh, I'm a little bit cloudy today. Uh, I can walk you all through my week real quick before Jimmy comes on. I... Last Tuesday morning, got on an airplane. I actually flew down to Jacksonville and drove down to Ponte Vedra, 
and spent a couple days walking uh, on the TPC Sawgrass front and back nine with PGA golfers because I feel like it's really important in my reporting life to spend time with those that I cover and uh, in, a, in a moment when I don't need them. And I, I wanted to learn so much more about how they're doing, what they're doing, and all of that before we head to Augusta National. Travis and I will be down there doing the official Masters podcast Yeah, when you again. say we, I want everyone to know, doesn't include your boy here, but that's yeah, okay. Sorry. I'll be there in spirit right up the road in case y'all need anything. Uh, you need to stop by for a, you know, a little snack on your way in uh, or drop off some goodies on the way out. I'm Remember, uh, you know, in in most contexts, we could probably help you get a ticket. In this one, sorry, buddy, you're out of luck. We got. Oh, no I would juice. never ask. No I would never ask you for help. I'm never gonna ask for the hookup because I've been on the other side of that fence, and I know how laughably impossible that is. So yeah, I understand. It's, it's you guys, you guys toughest, have fun. Toughest ticket in sports, and and it is so fun. It's our favorite week of the year, and. We're so full of gratitude that the folks at Augusta National allow us to do it and, and believe in us that we're going to do it well. But So anyway, I went down to Sawgrass and, and to the Players' Championship. Uh, the first day I walked nine with John Rahm and Tony Finau, and the next day I walked nine with Dustin Johnson and Pat Perez. And I'm going to hit up Pat, by the <laughs> way. Here's a, little, here's a little carrot for those of you out there who love golf. We're going to have our Masters preview show. I'm, I'm going to drag Pat onto, onto the show here, and we'll do a Masters preview with him. He is an absolute lightning rod. He is Pat's a machine. hilarious. And there aren't very many people who have a better shoe game than me, but that cat does. He's got his closet full of J's makes mine look like elementary school. So we'll have a blast with him. Great dude, hilarious, awesome insight, does not give a half a damn about anything so uh it'll be fun to have him on but uh, left sawgrass on wednesday afternoon drove over to tampa and uh what my gps said was going to be about a three hour and ten minute drive wound up being almost six i4 is a beast anyway i get that over to tampa and then thursday friday saturday sunday jimmy carl and i broadcasted nine basketball games in four days and uh, saw the Tennessee Volunteers win the SEC championship. I can't wait to talk to Jimmy so about the Marty, tournament. Marty, I feel like you spend a lot of time in Florida. Would you I'm, I'm, say that of all the states that you travel to, you're, you're in Florida the most? Um, I'm in Alabama a lot, dude. I'm in Alabama a whole yeah. lot. I'm in South Carolina a whole lot. So – I mean, I am in Florida often because you have the Daytona. I mean, Daytona 500 is there. Uh, the the uh, uh, Several golf tournaments are there. This year, it just so happens the SEC tournament was there. Normally, I'd be right there in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, way more often than not, that's where the SEC basketball tournament is held, there in Music City. But this year it was in Tampa. Um, they, by the way, they did a great job. Amelie Arena, I've just learned after being there for four consecutive days how to pronounce it. Amelie. It's Amelie. Like family, they tell me. It's like family. And uh, I will tell you, man, the, the SEC tournament was awesome. 
I mean, it was awesome. And Jimmy will jump on here in just a minute. We'll chat through that with him. But you saw an amazing run by the Texas Aggies. Uh, they beat Florida. They beat Arkansas. They beat uh, – who else did they beat? Auburn? They beat Auburn. Mm-hmm. And so they had a hell of a run. And I think <clears> – <throat> I mean, I, I can't believe they didn't get into the NCAA tournament. I'm I'm just flummoxed how they didn't get in and, and teams like Michigan got in, Notre Dame got in, and Texas A&M's resume in the eyes of the committee wasn't good enough. Um, I just – I don't understand that. And then the other huge question I have is how the Tennessee Volunteers as the SEC tournament champions with a fantastic resume uh, – I mean – I was watching uh, – I was on the airplane home from Florida watching the CBS show, and uh, a couple of the CBS analysts had Arizona as their national champion. Well, guess who beat them? Tennessee beat them. And so how Tennessee is a three – Tennessee is a basketball school now. How Tennessee is a three and Duke is a two. Uh, That's why I wanted – that's why I'm dragging Jimmy on the show here, man, because – I want to just get – like, he is – look, he's the best college basketball analyst there is. Yeah, I'm biased because he's my brother and I work with him. But his way – he has a way – I was explaining to Laney last night. He has a way of taking extremely complex pieces of the game, making them extremely understandable for the viewer, and does it with great passion and is succinct – and has brevity in the way that he says it. It's a very, it's a hell of a unique skill that he without has making as you a feel like he's a lot smarter than you. Yeah, which is also a key. Never talks down to the viewer. He's always immersed with the viewer, and just a just a brilliant, brilliant broadcast talent. And of course, I mean, he, he coached at the collegiate level. Let's see, he's actually oh, he's installing the app now so he can do it on his phone. So he'll be here in just a okay. minute. Um, let me tell you what happened. So, so I get home from I'm, – I'm partly cloudy today. Well, hold up, hold up. You were in Tampa when the Tom Brady news breaks, were you not? No, I wasn't. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If I'd have been in Tampa when the Tom Brady news broke, Travis and I were laughing about this on the phone. You sent a praise to your uh, Bible study group. Prayer request time. I have a praise. I was gone. When Tom Brady broke the news. Yes. He lets me know. So, Travis has a clairvoyance of, like, when I land in the Charlotte airport and make it to my Ram pickup truck. So, I'm <laughs> driving home from the airport, and we're on the phone. And he goes, guess what? And I said, what? He goes, Tom Brady's back. And I went, is he going to the 49ers? I thought he would go to the 49ers. That was my prediction with my buddies over beers the whole time. He's going to come back, but he's going to go to San Francisco. And Travis goes, nope, Tampa. And uh, so, if I had I laughed with Travis, I was, if I had been in Tampa when that news broke, I'd still be in Tampa. There he is. Hey. What's up there, big time? Everybody's got a hat on. I love this podcast. Yeah, baby, that's how we roll. You don't want to see my hair right now. Uh, first of all, brother, thank you so much at, at the absolute last minute. It looks awesome. Absolute last minute for coming on here to really – 
break some of this stuff down for us. Uh, the first thing that I wonder is, let's, let's, let's start with Texas A&M, okay? I think what they did in the, in the SEC tournament, you and I called all of their games, was plenty enough to deserve to get into that tournament. Why, what's your perspective on why they were one of the first teams out? Yeah, Marty, I, I think they were uh, like you. I, I'm still a little bit confused why they didn't get in. Um, the only explanation that I've heard is they were so far from even being considered when the SEC tournament started, like they were off the radar. But they should have quickly jumped on the radar. And time and time again, Marty, we hear that really the games on Sunday, they don't matter. They don't matter unless there's an upset obviously then A&M would be the automatic qualifier. But other than that, that bracket is set maybe as early as Friday. And then they just start moving positions around based upon location and those kind of things. But then, you know, Joe Lenardi said it last night. He studied this thing a lot more than I have on bracketology. Those Sunday games don't matter. So, uh, but it's hard to argue against the fact that A&M has beaten four or five teams that are in this NCAA tournament when there's other teams that got in that have only beaten one or two. And to me, that head-to-head stuff is so important. And I think it's very important, although the committee, Marty, doesn't look at it anymore, how you did in your last 10. I think I think that's very important because games, games played in November and December, for us that cover the sport and for players, you can't even remember games in November and December. Right. We put way too much emphasis on what happened in Maui and the battle for Atlantis. And those are completely different teams now. And you were there. There's not 68 better teams in the country today than what A&M showed us in Tampa last week. Completely agree. And and they're playing with so much passion and, and preparedness. And those young men, I mean, we got to watch it courtside and, and really be immersed in it. They played so hard. And – uh, it was a heck of a run to the SEC championship, uh, SEC tournament championship game. Let's go back to that thing where you said Sunday doesn't matter. If Sunday doesn't matter, is there a why? Why doesn't Sunday matter? And it would it would seem to me that then there's a fairness problem because there are the AAC, the SEC. These teams are winning championships on Sunday. Yeah, there. There. Well, there's a real fairness problem to Tennessee because it looked like they were pigeonholed on, on a three seed from the first time mm-hmm. the committee released their top 16 teams. That's where Tennessee was, and they did not move. It didn't matter how many games they won, and they ran right through that SEC tournament to a championship. They were a three seed no matter had they won or lost in Tampa. Think about that. They could have lost their opening game and probably be in the same spot they were. So there's, there's something timing-wise broke within the system when that occurred. Because, man, that, those games, Matt, you tell me the Kentucky-Tennessee game on Saturday shouldn't matter how the bracket looks on Sunday night? There's no something question. wrong, Marty. There's something wrong there. So, uh, it's, it's you know, we all have our, our – how, how we view things. We all get attached to the league that we cover. Let's just call it like it is. We do. For sure. Okay? But I've also not been a guy because the SEC's had years, Marty, where they deserve four teams. I haven't gone on the air and say they deserve seven. I haven't been that guy, but in a league that I see it, and I'm not saying my eyes are better than anybody else's eyes that watch ball, but I just know what I saw this year for that league to only have six teams was a disservice. Uh, So, you know, and it, it seems to be also Marty, there's so many 
14 different pieces of information that they use. So it's a sliding scale within that committee, I think, at times, not to their fault, but what they emphasized this year maybe was different what they emphasized last year. Maybe the net was more important this year than the the, the Ken Palm numbers or whatever number they, they, they go by in the years past. So it's a sliding scale. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, if you're A&M, you had chances to win games all year long to not be on the bubble like you were on Sunday. That's always a part of it. We can't erase that either. That's absolutely part of it. Wes, you got you got one for him? Yeah, I mean, what are some other teams that you feel like, you know, I saw your tweet that there are major mistakes made and it needs to be revisited. Um, what are some other teams jumping off the page that were snubbed in your opinion? Well, I think Iowa is a five seed. I, I think they kind of had them pigeonholed as well. But you look what they did in their tournament, you look how they're playing, you look at the star power they have with the Keegan Murray kid. A five, so a five seed says they're one of the 20 best teams in the country. Well, that, that, there's not 20 teams better than them going in. They could win the whole thing. They're, they're a trendy final four pick right now. So I, I understand the committee has a lot to deal with. It's not just selecting the teams. Then it's, then it's locations. And you can't play someone from your conference until, I believe, the, the second weekend, all the things they have to work with. But that being said, with the history of what the Sunday games show us, I would want my conference tournament to be played on Saturday. So your semis on Friday, and maybe that Kentucky-Tennessee game on Friday matters more, and there's a little bit more room or time to slide Tennessee up a, up, up a seed line if they have 24 more hours to work with. I'm sure all those conversations take place across the country, but – for the most part, the committee does a fantastic job. I'm, I'm not a guy that, that rails on the committee. I just think they need to look at simplifying that thing maybe a little bit more and get a little bit more black and white because when, to me there appears to be too much gray. When someone like Joe Lenardi says the difference between a two and a three seed is only the difference in the color of the uniform you wear, that is not, that is not the case as I get too close to my phone. That is not the case. <laughs> U.S. <laughs> coaches, U.S. coaches in that second weekend, and you're in the Sweet 16. Would you be rather be playing a team that's matching up on as a two seed or a three seed? Unanimously, unanimously, you want to be a two over a three. You want to be a one over a two. So I know, and to your point, it's such a difficult equation for the selection committee, and and we anybody that analyzes the game or is immersed in the game respects that challenge. But I, you talk about the difference between a two and a three. I'm sitting here just looking at the bracket and looking at what, you know, how Duke finished down the stretch, for example, versus how Tennessee finished down the stretch, for example. And not necessarily Duke versus Tennessee, that debate, but if I'm looking at how these teams finished, I think Tennessee would be a two before Duke would. I just, I just do. Martin, and, and the, even the, the numbers, the analytics, the metrics, they all say the same thing, not even equating in the, the last 10 games. But Duke lost on their home floor in their home finale. They got and blown then out. They, yeah, then they lost to Virginia Tech on a neutral floor that was, a, that was probably in the same situation as they, and they had to win to get in. So it's a – you know, you, I, I've heard people say the committee, CBS, the NCAA, they want as good a possible path as they can get 
for Coach K on, in his final run. I, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. A lot of people think so because it's such a huge story. It's a huge story. Uh, so I'm not I'm not questioning the integrity of the game or the integrity of the bracket, but it does make you think sometimes when you're in a room like that and the decisions are being made. This is also a made-for-TV tournament, and we all know how we love those stories and we love to see things play out. Uh, Tennessee doesn't carry the brand as Duke. They don't. But in terms of what they put on the floor this year, they were better. I mean, we, we hear about automation in sports all the time with baseball, you know, umpiring. You know, I'm not saying that the tournament should be totally automated, but with the data that we have, and you look at the college football playoff too, you know, those decisions are fully human made. And these committees are, I know that they're sacred entities, but how do you think we should, you know, reconcile the input of data, like you said, the metrics with how these decisions are, are put on paper? It's a great question, and no one can figure it out, you know, because do you want to just say, let's just take five retired coaches and put them in a room that really, really know ball, and so you come out of there with, with the 68 teams that deserve to get in with counting the automatic qualifiers and all that. Well, would they come out with the same bracket? I, I don't know, because now you're not, and so now you have former coaches in there. You can't use current coaches. Now you have former coaches in there that that would be fun if they did though. Yeah, yeah, it would. So now you have former <laughs> coaches in there to sign on a bracket with a grudge from someone that they played against the last twenty sure. years because they know I got I got fired because I didn't cheat. This guy looks like he's a three seed, and I know he does cheat. So now you got all those all those things factoring into the bracket. So I just you have to trust that that committee has a good blend, the proper blend of metrics, analytics. What do the numbers say? But, man, I'm, I'm hoping they're watching ball, and I'm hoping they're talking to the right people during the season because they have phone conversations leading up to this tournament starting in November. They have, they have contacts within, within leagues. Who are the teams that need to be on our radar? And you hope that the conversation, the eyes that are watching ball, say we, we need to make sure we have our eyes on this team. Now, now, because of that, there was no reason to have our eyes on Texas A&M when the tournament started. I agree with that and Marty would too. But what they sure. did, what they did and how they played and how they looked, man, I thought they were in yesterday when we walked out of that uh, Amelie Arena for the 127 fourth hounds and 600 time in four days. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, look, I mean, just, just to quickly to, to shout out A&M one more time, and I know this has no bearing on their NCAA tournament. They were down 14 to nothing. I mean yeah. – they were they were down twelve or fourteen to nothing, and what they did, what they have done the last ten games, they scrapped, clawed, fight, wrestled, and they got back in it. Tennessee just had too much. I mean, A and M wasn't making enough shots, and Tennessee was just not to be denied. I mean, they were not going to be denied, and they are a worthy SEC champion. I'll let I'll let uh, Wes ask you about Mike White in just a minute, because just so you know, Jimmy uh, West yeah, covers the Georgia for all Bulldogs the people tuning in about tournament stuff I, I don't <laughs> want to step on their toes asking about uh one sec win georgia but i'll ask let's, uh, coach let's before we leave let's complete the uh, ncaa tournament talk first uh wh who do you expect to get to new orleans jimmy who's going to come out of these regions gosh Mario, i don't have the bracket up in front of me um i still really like kentucky on a neutral floor 
Me you know, I, the, Oscar's going to get fouled a ton on a neutral floor with, new, with neutral refs. You know, it's going to hard be hard to deny them. Uh, I'm a huge believer in Tennessee. I know that's two teams out of the SEC. I, I just they have everything. They have absolutely everything. Uh, I, I I I like Iowa. I I just there's something about when I watch Iowa play defensively, they're they're good enough. Offensively, they are a huge, huge, huge problem. That Keegan Murray kid, you got to have a dude that can just carry you through a couple of games. You just got to win four to get to the Final Four. That kid's good enough from what I've seen to do it. And then I'm I'm not going to go against the Zags. Just the the front line of Timmy and Holmgren, that length is a is a superior quality that they have. I trust Mark Few. I trust their guard play. Nemhard's played a ton of ball, and there's not yeah, yes. there's not great there's not great point guard play out there right now. That you just say, wow, how can we match up with that? So if you just have really really good solid point guard play, you're probably a step ahead of most. And I, I, I would go I would go with those four. I think they're in four different regions. I hope I guessed right. Just looking at last night, I, I like those four. Yep, Gonzaga, Kentucky. So, so yeah, they're in two different. Gonzaga's ones. in the West, the number one in the West. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky's two in the East. Kentucky's two in the East. Iowa, Iowa is, is three five in the, in the Midwest. Oh, they're five. That's right. And then Tennessee, yep. three in the South. Tennessee's a three in the South. Yep, Boom. Did it. That's right. a really good job. That's why we have you on the show. That's going back on uh, that one. So think about this. Think about this though, real quick. So. Gonzaga won their conference tournament. Tennessee won theirs. Iowa won theirs, correct? So the last 11 Final Fours have included at least one team that won their conference tournament. So you fill out your bracket, look for teams that won their conference tournament, and advance them to the Final Four, and you're probably going to at least have one of them right. Yep. And just one last thing, Wes, about the Tennessee thing. I've seen a lot of – college basketball analysts put Arizona not only in their final four out of the South, but also as their national champion. I know it was November or whenever it was, December maybe, but Tennessee beat Arizona this year. Tennessee beat them. And Tennessee's a better team. Arizona probably is too, but Tennessee's a better team now than they were then. Their bigs up front are far more polished and far more seasoned. And those two freshman guards that Tennessee has are dudes. Yeah, Marty, I, I did the game, and I was I was very impressed with Arizona. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. I did the game. It was December the twenty eighth, right after Christmas, and Arizona is Final Four good. And to your point, Kennedy Chandler was not even close to being what Kennedy Chandler is now, and they weren't even playing Adu and, and Huntley Hatfield. And this Tennessee team has remade themselves and gotten better from that point till now. And the question I have for Arizona. Kirk Kreese, I think Jeff Goodman tweeted a picture earlier this morning of, of Kirk Kreese's ankle, the starting point guard for Arizona, uh, within the last four or five days. Dude, it was it was black and purple and blue from the mid-calf all the way through the toes. He's in a walking boot. They're saying that he's going to be okay to play this week, but I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm going to stick with those four. But, but I do really like Arizona. They, they were the real deal. In, in Thompson Bowling Arena that day, but Tennessee put it on put it on him. One more thing about the bracket, and then I'll ask you about Mike White. I live in <laughs> in Athens. Um, the narrative about Auburn not being able to win away from home, how much does that 
reflect on their their tournament hopes in your opinion I, I think they have some real questions uh, I, I did an Auburn game I think I did a couple of them at Auburn this year you're not you're not gonna beat Auburn at Auburn this year or going forward that uh, that, that jungle is too impactful and their offensive numbers at home compared to away a huge gap a huge gap I think they almost swing like a hundred points. Uh, or 100 slots in terms of where they rank nationally. Uh, their guard play has been a question mark all year long. Now, I talked to Bruce Pearl back in November. I said, I have one question. Is your, are your guards good enough to win it all? He said, I, I don't know, but that is the question. And they have not held up uh, in true, uh, true away games in the SEC. They did not hold up in the SEC. Uh, they way, way, way oversettled for the three-point shot uh, in their loss in the SEC tournament way too early. They forgot they have the potential number one pick in the draft in Jabari Smith. They forgot who they were. And that's a real problem when you have four or five days of practice now to fix that. I don't know if you can fix it quick enough to cut down the nets in New Orleans. And, and that's, that's, this is a team that has been their goal. They know they had the, the, the chance to do it. They got to the Final Four in 2019. And Bruce has said, this team is better. This team is better than this Final Four team. But that Final Four team, they got hot at the right time. And Auburn is not hot at the right time right now. Last one for you. Uh, like I mentioned, went to Georgia, live right outside of Athens. Uh, Tom Crean obviously didn't work out, but I look on Twitter and a lot of Florida fans are excited that Mike White is gone. Should I be worried about this? Well, be careful what you hope for because Florida just lost the only coach in the conference in the SEC that has been to the previous to this one, the last four NCAA tournaments, and won a game in each of the last four NCAA tournaments. Not Rick Barnes, not John Calipari, not Bruce Pearl, not Frank Martin, not Buzz Williams, not Will Wade, not Eric, no, no. Mike White, the only coach in the SEC, the last four NCAA tournaments, to go and win a game. That's pretty consistent. It didn't work out for him this year. Uh, but I think Mike White just got tired of hearing he's not Billy Donovan. Well, then, you know what? Unless they hire Billy Donovan now, the next guy's not Billy Donovan either. He's not. When Marty leaves, Marty McGee, you ain't going to get Marty. Okay? You have to find somebody else that's pretty good, but he's not going to beat Marty, right? <laughs> and they're not going to get Billy Donovan. So Mike White is as solid of a guy and as solid of a coach that we have. I texted him this morning and said, man, I am really happy for you. Build that program exactly like you want to do it. So you did good. You did good. I, I, I thought Tom Cream was a terrific hire when he got hired, and it didn't work out. There are no guarantees, Wes, in a hire. None. There's not one. There's not one. And you say, well, what if Coach K would have taken the Georgia job? I, without a, are we sure that would have worked out? And he's the all-time winningest coach in the history of ball. If he wanted to go another three years, could he have got it done at Georgia? I don't know. But I like to hire by Georgia with Mike White. Boom. I feel good about that. Jimmy's forgotten more about college basketball than I'll ever know, but having been around Coach White quite a bit during our Super Tuesday extravaganza, I completely agree with what Jimmy's saying. He ha like he can he, he, the kids relate to him. Um, he's a really good basketball coach. He's been extremely successful at Florida, but when you follow a legend, it's just a hell of a challenge. All right, I want to get you out of here on this. You and I had the great blessing in Tampa of getting to spend a few minutes with Dick Vitale. And there's never been another individual in any sport who had greater impact on his sport than Coach Vitale has had 
on college basketball, his passion, his absolutely indomitable appreciation and uh, promotion and passion for the game. How do you define what he means to college basketball? And if you have a story about something he's either done for you or what he means to you, I'd love to hear it, brother. Well, Marty, he he has elevated the game every bit as much as anyone that's ever been involved in the game. From 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 Coach K to Roy Williams to Bill Self to Raleigh Massimino, like he's taken the game up in in so many different ways. You know, the excitement that we all have for it, the excitement from March Madness. You know, he was there from ESPN from day one with college basketball. I'm not sure you and I'd be doing what we get to do if it weren't for him early and making making that product a success and something that everyone wanted to watch and everyone wanted to be a part of. Uh, I, I, I just think the, the understated thing about Dick is how much he does for other people. And we, we, we hear it. We all, we all know that. I think we'd all be blown away by the day-to-day stuff that he does that will never get returned to him here, here in this life. It, it, it will, it will in eternity someday, but his heart for others. I think that's what, uh, I was up in the suite with him about an hour before the tip off on Saturday and he's writing on his whiteboard and he started crying. And I think his frustration over not being able to talk to people now about raising money for, uh, children's cancer research, breaks his heart more than not being able to sit on the court side and talk ball in a microphone. And we know how much he loves that. But, but I think if you said you're going to get your voice back and you can do one of two things, it'd be a no brainer. He would use his voice to continue to help raise money for kids that are battling something he's battling right now. So that's, that's probably the, the, the best thing I can say about him and uh, the fact that he's easy to love. You know, some people are hard to love. Some people are okay to love, and some people are really easy to love, and Dick is easy to love. Beautifully said, man. Uh, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, he, he leads with passion, and he leads with kindness, and you do the same. It is one of the great pleasures of my life to get to spend time with you and certainly to broadcast college basketball games with you. We have an amazing family out there in the, in the grind, and thank you. I know you. Jimmy has worked every day for five straight months, and today's his first day off from college basketball. And I said, hey, man, can you spend 30 minutes with me talking about college basketball? Thank you, brother. We appreciate you so much, and uh, I'm just full of gratitude. I'm a real big believer in telling people that you love, that you love them right now. You tell them right now. You don't wait because we go to funerals and we go to celebrations of life and everybody has all these amazing tales and this person was wonderful. Tell them now. When we got done yesterday at the SEC tournament, I told the guys that Jimmy was just mentioning, uh, Scott Matthews, our producer, Derek Mobley, our director, Jimmy and Carl, I, I told them, like, I love you guys. And – I do because not only are they world-class broadcasters, but they're amazing people. And I tell you, I was sitting on Saturday evening. I was so exhausted because I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, went and did Marty and McGee for three hours in the arena, changed into a suit, and broadcast two basketball games. And was completely gassed 
after those basketball games. I got back to the hotel, and and Scotty and D, and, and D Mob wanted to have a cold beer, so I went down to the bar and I ate a salad. And as I'm about to bounce, this guy comes over. He was Woo Pig. He was a big old big old Arkansas fan, and he leaned down to me and he goes, "Hey, I want you to know something." He goes, "Your faith." comes through everything you do and it really matters it really matters that you're willing to wear it like that and I always kind of giggle when people tell me that because I'm a knucklehead man I cuss way too much and I like drinking raising hell but I love Jesus and the fact that people can see and feel that with whatever I'm doing is humbling and I say all that that Jimmy Dykes wears his faith that way too and he's, he's just an amazing example. And that's the way I feel about Dick Vitale, too. I, I actually wrote it on social media. I went on Twitter for 25 seconds, and somebody had told me, Travis might have even sent it to me, that, that Dick Vitale posted a photograph of, of us. I was walking. I was putting makeup on my face so I didn't scare the bejesus out of America. And I'm running down the, the hallway at the Amelie Arena, to get to the game, to, to go onto the floor, and I get clotheslined. And I kind of snap my head around, and it was Dick Vitale. And he wraps his arm around me, and he's giving me this huge hug, and I just kind of like put my hand on his face, and I, 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 I said in his ear, I'm, I, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your example. I'm grateful for the way that you lead with passion and you lead with kindness and both of those things in your life and in your narrative are indomitable. They are unstoppable and they are palpable to everybody who sees it. And that's an amazing example for people like me. Thank you. And he was so upset because he couldn't talk to me like he couldn't. And I'm like, I understand. You don't have to say anything. I know. And got to hug his neck and, 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 and just have a moment with him because he's a beautiful spirit. And I'm, I'm grateful that I, I mean, even know the fact that, that I even know him is mind blowing to me, but glad he's on the mend. The SEC did a, a, a great job with a tribute to him at the games on Saturday. So I'm glad that he's on the mend. Grateful to Jimmy for coming on. Um, he's again, he's forgotten more about college basketball than any of us will ever know. Uh, and, He's coached at the highest level. I meant to bust his chops. Y'all got to go on the internet. When Jimmy was at Kentucky 100 years ago, he had the greatest perm. Like, I mean, the perm was immaculate. And it looks like he's Jackie Moon. or I mean, he looked like Jackie Moon or something. So go on there and check that out. But just a great man and, and appreciate his insight, Wesley. It sounds like you got yourself a basketball coach in Athens. Look, I am really happy to hear that from the coach because I don't put much stock in Twitter like you. It's not real life. That's a quote from a brilliant philosophical mind by the name of Dave Chappelle. And it's not real. So I don't really know what to think on there, but I see a bunch of Florida fans last night <laughs> saying, thank God he's gone. Yeah. And I'm like, what What just happened? And I trust Josh Brooks. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing with these hires, and this is really the first big one he had to make in Athens. But I was like, man, what what do, what do they know that I don't know? Um, so, yeah, that was good to hear from Coach. Um, 
Hey, to your point about, you know, people approaching you and, and your faith showing through, I, I want to share a review that we got from a guy named Eric Garner that said, these are my brothers I've never met. They are positive and the love of the Lord comes through wow. no matter the topic discussed. And that was in wow. uh, our podcast reviews from this past week. So you never know. It's, it's, you never know when these themes are going to come up, man. And uh, I'm, I think that was pretty cool that you brought that up. Well, I, that's very timely. Uh, I'm a flawed man. I mean, I've said it on every podcast I've, I've had, and I've said it on Marty and McGee. I've, I wrote it in my book. I'm a flawed man, but <clears throat> through through failures and mistakes and hurting people and trying to grow up and become a man um, and, and people having patience with that evolution, I, I feel like the perspective that I've gleaned as a result of all that kind of results in whatever the best version is at this point. So I'm grateful. And uh, I wanted to quickly just uh, mention the NASCAR race in Phoenix because it's a, it's a great story. Chase Briscoe won his first career race. He's the 200th winner in the history of the Cup Series. And he drives his hero's car. He drives the number 14 Ford for Tony Stewart, the car that Tony drove. And Tony handpicked him and chose him to be in that race car. And I'm thrilled for Chase. Uh, it's an amazing victory. His sponsor is Mahindra Tractors, and they've, they've entered their way into NASCAR and really bet on not only Tony but Chase. And if you guys aren't NASCAR fans, you can't imagine what that is. When you deliver for a sponsor who is betting on you and believing in you, the relief, I mean, the overwhelming relief. I remember Matt Kenseth. Matt was a NASCAR champion. He'd won a million races. When he went to Joe Gibbs, he, he had all this self-induced pressure to win for Joe Gibbs because he knew the equipment he was in. And when he finally did it, he admitted, I had the weight of the world on me. And it was self-made pressure. And so Jimmy Johnson, I mean, one of the greatest of all time. I mean, Lowe's Home Improvement Warehouse – Signed a check. They looked, they, Bob Tillman, the former CEO of Lowe's, looked right across the table at Jimmy Johnson in 2001 and goes, Can you win? And Jimmy lied to him, Yes, sir, I can win. Jimmy was scared to death. Scared to death. But he said, Yes, sir, I can win. And they signed up. And a few races later in California, Jimmy Johnson wins his first cup race in 2002. So, congratulations to Chase. Just, a, just an awesome victory for him. NASCAR maintains its momentum. That's the, I mean, the theme this year, you got Austin Sendrick winning the Daytona 500, his first career win. Now you got Chase winning at Phoenix, his first career win. The West Coast swing was, was really good. And I am, I think, I think, I don't know this yet. Uh, I may go to Talladega in April. I'm not sure yet. I'm thinking about it. Might get us a, might get us an RV or something and, parking on Talladega Boulevard and go down there and see what that's all about. I know what it's all about. Trust me. I've, uh, I've lost life off my years on Talladega Boulevard. I've made some terrible the decisions. The best thing about there. Talladega is the Twitter account sharing the infield destruction Brilliant. photos every year. If y'all haven't seen that, just do like a Twitter advanced search for the weekend of every race that whatever that Monday is, go look at it. There are some things in there that I can't even believe they exist outside of the infield of that racetrack. 
and they find a way inside the infield of that racetrack. You ever been on Talladega Boulevard West? I've never been, man. I gotta no. take you, man. It's it's the most amazing collection of and diversity of all kinds of people. You'll have a guy who works four twelves down at the at the pipe plant, parked beside a guy who's a PhD in nuclear physics. And then on the other side is a, a, a brain surgeon, you know, beside a, a, a park ranger. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like and the every, Avengers and NASCAR fans. What's awesome is all that disappears. On Friday afternoon when everybody gets there and parks and gets all their camping stuff out and pulls out the pit boss grill and they start throwing <laughs> pork butts on there and cracking Budweiser's, it don't matter what the hell you do. It's about who you are. And that's a beautiful thing. And I lo- it's my favorite racetrack. I think it's the most, most authentic NASCAR experience. And I love that state. And so I, uh, I think I might be sneaking down there. We shall see. Um, we're going to start Vivian's carpool question of the week. Let me tell you something about Vivian. She'll do whatever she wants. When I am driving my daughter to carpool, she has the most amazing questions. My nine-year-old Vivian. Some of my favorite conversations I have with my daughters on the way to school. They, I get to learn about their lives. I get to learn about what they're thinking about. I'll simply ask, what are you thinking about right now? All right, what is Vivian's carpool question of the week? All right, let's, uh, let's before we get out of here, I posed Vivi's question of the week, Vivi's carpool question of the week last week. And w- Wes, you had an entire week to stew on the answer. Let me remind you guys yeah. of what I've thought about Vivian's, it every day. Uh, it's a brilliant question. Vivian's carpool question of the week last week was, Daddy, was kind always a thing and they discovered rude, or was rude a thing and they discovered kind? Wesley, what say you? All right, so we're staying a little faith-based in the podcast today. So That's I'm going to go thing. back to felt board Sunday school class mm-hmm. and... I think I think that kind existed first. I do too. And then, you know, that little sneaky serpent showed up and and brought Rude into the picture. So, in that context, I think that's how it played out. Nowadays, I think that you do have to invent your own kindness. And I know that's kind of twisting her question a little bit. But I think that you have to you have to turn the dial up a little bit on your kindness these days. You almost have to. Kindness isn't a reflex. I, you got to so be I more say, intentional about it. This is how I would answer Vivi's question, and I didn't answer her that day because I wanted to wait. I wanted to stew on it. I believe we're innately kind too. I believe that if you think about how we are as children. As children, we just love other children. We don't care how much money they got. We don't care what race they are. We don't care what religion they are. We just love them. And then something happens as we age where all of these lines are drawn. So I I know we're innately kind. Mm -hmm. So kindness came first, sweetheart, and you are the embodiment of it. Um, all right, should I pose Vivi's uh, next carpool question of the week, or should we save it? I kind of like this. I, I like the 
stewing. Okay. Yeah. So what here do you think, Travis? Is, yeah. Here is the one we will stew on for the next seven days. Daddy, when you were younger, how did you listen to the song you wanted to hear? You didn't have Alexa. We'll stew on that for the next seven days, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to spend time fellowshipping with us. Again, Jimmy Dykes is my brother. So grateful for his perspective and his passion and his kindness and example. Really grateful for our law enforcement officials all over the, all over the country in little towns doing their best to keep their community safe. Thank you to first responders, fire and rescue, saving lives every day. And to the United States military, we all have new perspective on being free with what's going on in Ukraine. I'm so full of gratitude that I can walk out my front door every day and go and do and be what I want because there are men and women all over the world as members of the United States military preserving our freedom. Thank you. Everybody at Outsider is full of gratitude for that. Boys, it was a good time. We will try again next week to do better. Remember, everybody, please, please rate, review, and follow all of us. We're trying to grow something special here, and we're doing it. We can tell by the feedback. We're starting to get the momentum, and that matters to us. Thank you, guys. If there are topics of conversation that you want Wes and me to discuss, drop it in the reviews. Travis and we Wes read them. are reading, reading them every day. I will admit I don't, I don't like, like I'm a, I'm a real pain in the butt about social media and I'm a pain in the butt about like reading that kind of stuff. I just, for my own well-being and mental health, I just kind of stay the course. Um, no one said anything bad about us yet in the podcast okay if reviews. they do. If, if, if that is their opinion of it, if you got an idea how we can make it better, tell us, tell yep. us, and we'll do our we best to do all. that. And we also have, of course, the, uh, the Outsider store. Go to shop.outsider.com. That is shop, S-H-O-P, .outsider.com. And you can get this hat that's on my head right now. It's one of my favorites in our array of selections. My brother it loves that a, one. Yeah, I do too. It has the American flag on the front, as you can see. It has the Outsider symbol, our, our logo on the over the ear and uh it's an uh, just an awesome hat and and i love it i'm gonna wear this one on marty and mcgee on saturday i had on the blue outsider hat on marty and mcgee on saturday with the outsider stitching right here and i mean there are probably 15 twitters of people asking me where they can get it y'all go to shop.outsider.com we appreciate you guys listening thank you so much have an amazing week